Welcome to the Night Flight Slumber Party. I am Nick from the Found Footage Festival, and with me, as always, is Night Flight's own KJ. Hi, KJ. Hello. Great to be I, here. Yes, and I'm excited about this episode. We've got some great guests. Yes, and joining us tonight, we have actor, writer, producer, and someone who you may recognize from shows like Seinfeld, The Simpsons, and Stand Against Evil, one of my personal favorite comedians, Dana Gould. I appreciate that you chose to don pajamas today, Dana. Well, I'm a pro. You know, Don Pajamas is Nick's porn name. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Don Pajamas, the sleepiest man in the mafia. <laughs> Dana, welcome to the Night Flight Slumber Party. Uh, love the pajamas. I, I want to talk you. right off the bat about Hanging with Dr. Z. This is your um, Planet of the Apes-based 60s talk show. How, how do you describe this to people? Uh, it's a fever dream in a sitcom uh yeah it's basically what if what if uh what if dr zayas had the personality of sammy davis jr and a very popular talk show in 1969 with guests with guests from today you know it's that sweaty old thing from deep in the heart of the san fernando valley it's hanging with dr z tonight Funny man Dana Gould with Rusty Steel and the Steel Wheels. This monkey means business. It's on YouTube, hanging with Dr. Z. And uh, it was, uh, I'd been doing Dr. Z as a character at shows here in, uh, in LA and at Sketchfest in San Francisco. And as I would do him, it really, de he developed his own sort of personality. And it was, it's very Sammy. It's, it's very Sammy. It's like a, you know, I can't do it without you two. You know, I wake up in the morning. If you two aren't here for me to plug into, it doesn't happen. And that's just how it goes. And that's coming from here. That's coming from here and the cat upstairs. And we're sending it to you. Uh, that's that's basically who he became. The, the showbiz and, and, sincerity. Of, uh, yeah, the yeah. Show, but he really me. He really means yes. It. yes. <laughs> you know, you know, but then he'll also say like he was. Uh, but then he'll say something like, "Now tell me, I've been following your career for years. What have you done that's good?" Like he'll also <laughs> <laughs> like undercut. But um, so we, uh, uh, Rob Cohen, who's been my writing partner for years, and we we worked together on a lot of things. Uh, it was the it was the pandemic, and we were just we were like, "What is something that we could do that would cost a lot of money, <laughs> but put us at risk of being sued by Disney?" <laughs> I have an idea. Um, so uh, that was the uh, that was the origin of it. People love it. Uh, it's completely stupid. Um, it's you know, there's no heavy agenda whatsoever. It's 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 a complete meringue. Hello, it's me, Dr. Z. Fasten your hilarity harness. Things are going to get out of control. Has has the uh, the makeup because you're in the full costume and makeup has has it given yeah. you a new appreciation? I mean, looking through the eyes. Yeah, of this is this by the way is him as Zelvis. This is when he was. Uh, you can find that on YouTube if you just say. Oh, we will. If you just Doctor Z and Sweet Caroline. Caroline, of course, is a Neil Diamond song, uh, but Elvis did a cover of it, and that's and uh, that's the way it is. And uh, I always loved it. And so Dr. Z sang it at a at a benefit. 
Wow, that's a lot of layers. <laughs> it's many, many layers. Oh my God, this season we have uh, Dave Foley, Maria Bamford, Penn Gillette, Weird Al Yankovic, and uh, and of course Paul had Williams. You not, had you not asked me right, yes, and had you not asked me right out of the top, I would have. Uh, I would have had them all. Uh, I would have had them already. And we have, uh, and we're also David Keckner is on the show, and we're doing ah, uh, scenes from uh, Doctor Z and David's uh, uh, buddy cop movie in the uh, mid seventies, <laughs> Del Monte and Flip Flop. Speaking of Doctor Z, there was a time when I lived in Roddy McDowell's house. We bought Roddy McDowell's house. Uh, that was where. Yeah, no, my uh, my ex wife and my kids still live there. <laughs> wow. Ah. With um, Roddy? <laughs> I didn't say I, I didn't say I didn't buy it. I just said I don't live there. Um and um Roddy's in heaven, but uh yeah, but he uh taped everything and I had I don't know where they are now. I had his videotapes, but it would literally be like a, a VHS tape that you get it wherever. Uh, and it would be typewritten labels. And it was literally like evening shade slash 60 minutes slash murder. She wrote like you would just tape stuff, label it, put it on the shelf. This is Don't Ronnie's VHS collection that you inherited yeah. from 1994. That's that's 93 or 94. Uh, the yeah, lineup on yeah. CBS. <laughs> you're right. Oh, man, that's got to be in the Smithsonian somewhere. That's an incredible collection. <laughs> Can I ask how this penmanship was on the VHS labels? Was it was it typewriter? Good? typewriter. Oh, typewriter. I missed that. Typewriter. But I did now that we're in the subject of 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 Planet of the Apes actor penmanship. Yes. Uh, I did the show Politically Incorrect, which was Bill Maher's show before Real Time with Bill Maher. I did that with Charlton Heston. And uh, and after the show, and he, by the way, uh, we didn't agree on anything and he couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I'll give him credit. Like he, he was he was just lovely. He was very polite and when he pulled that gun, I guess. He was, he was <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Went up to him after the show, told him how much I loved everything and you know i love planet of the apes and he goes well i'd be happy to send you a picture from the film if you'd like and i said i love that give me your address four days later showed up in the mail manila envelope and uh but i cannot read what he wrote it looks like to this day it looks like <laughs> to dana happy couch charlton heston <laughs> i like to think exactly that's what, what he wrote he yeah i like to think yeah. that's what he meant <laughs> happiest couches forever your squirrel buddy charlton but uh well we were talking about dr z this is this is one of my uh this is a true story and, and it's really weird um i'm assuming that you saw what was the uh the movie with ben affleck the the they had to get the hostages out of iran and they made the fake movie in that movie john uh john chambers is a character john, john goodman. goodman john goodman plays john chambers who was a real guy and was involved in that case because he did work for the cia he was also a makeup genius he designed spock's ears he designed all the creatures from the outer limits and he designed the makeup for planet of the apes um, he invented that whole makeup. He was a, he was also a chemist. He designed the foam rubber that they used. He, you know, it was wow. like he was a literal genius. He also worked for the CIA, which is how he became involved in that case. But one of the things that he was doing while working on Planet of the Apes, he also had the an, another makeup crew in the same facility building disguise kits for spies oh my god 
literally <laughs> building these kits that look like shaving kits and a spy could take it into the if a spy was being followed he could go into a restaurant go into the bathroom come out looking different enough from a distance to get away they also use them to sneak people out of eastern germany and uh, uh, uh all sorts of stuff uh and that, uh, that so was cool. done right under the nose right under everybody's nose uh there's uh there's uh tons of crazy uh tons of crazy stories like that wow uh, so it's like he and chuck barris really had the same yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. exactly nice memory nice pull <laughs> Oh, now this has some substance. It's about time we had substance on this show. And here's oh, here's probably my favorite Hollywood story. Um, remember the 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 Naked Gun movies? Yes. Yeah. Well, Nordberg murdered his wife. No, it's really, really true. Huh. Yes. Interesting. That's a little, little Hollywood fun fact for you. Yes. Nordberg. Hiya, buddy. Hey. Let me ask you a briefly about The Simpsons. The update is that you were in an episode last year as yourself, right? I mean, because you were yes, obviously was. a writer and an EP on it, but then you actually got to be drawn into the show, which must have been cool. Yes, I yeah, I did. They, they were very kind. And uh, and um, uh, Werner Herzog actually says my name. There, Werner Herzog is doing a, docu <laughs> is, uh, doing a documentary about... Uh, uh, what people do at a retirement home. And he goes, many of them relax. They comb each other's hair. They listen to Dana Gould's podcast. <laughs> what is the most irritating question that you get about The Simpsons? Uh, well, mo mostly people say they like, they haven't stopped watching it since it stopped being good, but it's never the same time. <laughs> I see. So everybody has a different barometer of when it got bad, basically. Well, it's, 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 it was good when you first discovered it and yes. we're in high school. You know, that's when it's best. Then yeah. you get older and it's not as good for some people that seasons five, six and seven for other people it's seasons 17, 18 and 19. It, it doesn't. It's whenever you're that age and you discover it, that's when it's best. Right. You know, so it, yeah. it changes for it changes for everybody. One funny uh a uh, news story was uh, there was there was uh, a news story recently that there is a there's one episode of the show missing from Disney Plus in Hong Kong, and that is uh, an episode where they go to China and there's a joke. Uh, there was a big they're in Tiananmen Square and there's a sign that says on this spot in 1989 nothing happened, and uh, so they don't show that episode in Hong Kong. And uh, that one was written by this guy. <laughs> oh. Congratulations. Yeah. You, you lowered Disney's bottom line a little I bit. I did, yeah, I did. Oh. I've, cre I've created an incident. <laughs> bravo, bravo. Yeah. To the dear souls that Claire hath left behind, her daughter Denise, her beloved husband, Sheriff Stanley Miller, earth to earth, ashes to ashes. I want to talk about some some more recent shows like because I know that you are a horror fan and Stan Against Evil must have been sort of a dream come true to incorporate some of those tropes into a into a show. Yeah, that was great. I mean, it was a show that I. Um, I, I had an idea for a show. Uh, years ago, right after I left The Simpsons. That I thought was a great show and it was. Uh, the uh, it was the 
essentially you take the cast of Seinfeld and you put them into Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> and this was before The Walking Dead and before Zombieland. This was, I think, 2010. Uh, it was before all that. And, I, and that's the show. And like, there's a zombie apocalypse, but that's in the background. They have, you know, it's like, you took my soap or whatever it is. That's the story. And uh, I, I thought it was really great. And, um, and it was in development for a long time and they ended up not making it. And I really think they made a mistake. Um, I agree. And, uh, and now you can't do it because they're all, it's done to death. No pun intended. So, uh, but I always wanted to do a, a horror, like I love horror movies. I love that world, but I'm funny. So like I wanted to put them together and, and be able to like have a creature shop and have monsters, but also then just be funny naturally. And it took forever and a day to come up with an idea that I thought worked. And it was basically um, what if uh, what if the X-Files was the X-Files, but instead of uh, Scully being partnered with David Duchovny, what if she was partnered with my dad? Um, and in the sense that it wasn't that he believed or he didn't believe, he just didn't care. Because uh, that was always our joke. My brothers and I would be like, if I, I remember like if, if we used to do a joke, like if when I was a kid, for some reason, King Kong was always on. Uh, yeah. And we would always, King, every time we turn on the TV, King Kong was on. And the, the, they're flying the planes at the end. And my brothers and I used to joke that if dad was in one of the planes, he'd like take a couple shots, then fly off, check the score of the game, come back, <laughs> take a couple more shots. Um, and, and I thought that would be a fun character to have. <laughs> and I was going to do it like Dr. Z. I was just going to make it myself um, and pay for it and just do it as a little um, web series uh, for fun. And uh, happened to be having lunch with a friend of mine who uh, worked at IFC, and I, I told him what I was up to, and he was like, "Well, if you can change A to B and B to C and C to D, we might be interested in, in hearing that." Um, so I went off and and made the changes that they wanted, and they ended up making it, which astonished me. All I want to do is nothing, and I can't even do that. Stand against evil. I need to hear about this friendship with Vampira. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Myla. Um, uh, she and I were we were pretty close, actually. I met her in 19. She was known uh, to the world as Vampira. <laughs> she was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. She was the first person to... Um, host horror movies on television started in 1954 in Los Angeles. In 1995, I uh, interviewed her for a documentary I was doing on horror movie hosts. Now, most people know Vampira from her role in Plan 9 from Outer Space or as she was portrayed in the film Ed Wood. But her real claim to fame is that she was the very first television horror movie hostess. And I'm joined now by Vampira's. Uh, Alter Ego and creator, Miss Myla Nurmi. Thanks for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, that was 1995. And then we stayed friends until she passed away in uh, 2008. Um, and the, the, her centenary, 
is coming up in December of 2022. She'll be 100. And uh, we're looking forward to doing a little something for her. She's interred at uh, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, right in front of Darren McGavin, who was the Night Stalker. Um, so he's literally chasing a vampire through all eternity. Uh, Mila, uh, Mila passed in February or late January, early February of 08. Uh, and I saw her just before Christmas. And then I went, I had babies at the time and, uh, and, uh, and, and we went away for the holidays. And then I came back and got the baby settled in and I was getting ready to go see her. And she unfortunately passed. Uh, and um, I went to her apartment and I knew her apartment very well. And I was like, that's new. What's that? And it was this thing on the TV. It was just sitting there on the TV. I'm like, all right, what's this? So I open it up and there's a note in it that says, uh, this is what remains of a set of nails I had when I could still see her being funny. <laughs> and then looking on the nail is a little self-portrait. Whoa. Here's the weird part. Now I'm standing alone in her apartment. She has now left the, the earthly plane and the apartment. And I'm standing alone in it and I didn't turn the nail over and it was my Christmas present. Whoa, that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, very- uh, Oh my God. Yeah, if I was capable of feelings, I would have had them. <laughs> Is there a horror movie that you are an evangelist for that not a lot of people have seen? Well, yeah, there's 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 a couple. Um, one of them is that I, I mentioned earlier tonight. And I have the the Kino Lorber right here. The the TV movie, The Night Stalker. Oh, nice. I love is, how you've got it right there. I've got it right here on my desk is is uh, is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And it's I, I think it's. 75 minutes long it was a tv movie it moves like a freight train darren mcgavin the night stalker it's fantastic um i was a huge uh night stalker fan and in fact uh kino lorber just released the 4k of the tv series Oh, yeah. Uh, and th there are two interviews on it. David Chase, who created The Sopranos, because it, that was his first job. And me, because <laughs> I actually put the Darren McGavin's character into Stand Against Evil. I didn't name it, but I put that character onto an episode of Stand Against Evil just because I, I loved him so much. Um, and uh, uh, I, I just love it. And one of my uh, and, and this isn't a horror movie, but it's it's uh, it's 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 the truly uh, underrated uh, comedy uh, is uh, the ghost in Mr. Chicken. With oh, Knott, oh my is, heart. Yes. Yeah. One of my all time favorite movies ever. It's spooky. It's eerie. It's The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, starring three-time Emmy Award winner Don Knotts as the world's bravest coward. I have been called brave. Now, let me clarify this. As you see, I'm a lion with girls, a tiger with men, and I'm just naturally at home in a haunted house. So what's brave? How should I know? I'm chicken. Mr. Chicken to you. But also, 
genuinely funny. Like, yes, really genuinely funny and, and also scary when it needs to be. Yeah, just Don, Don Knotts and every there's not a there's not a bad frame in that movie. And he is funny all the way through. I have He's to so rewatch that. That was such a huge. When you know, an average, now when an average guy <laughs> and an above average girl, I'm just saying, average. Yeah, it's just fantastic. Just fantastic. Good. That was an amazing Knox. impression, yeah, by the way. Can't let that. Go. That was a great Don. Knox. Well, I've I've actually I voiced him on The Simpsons before. I said, oh. if you see Don Knotts on The Simpsons, it's either Don Knotts, Dan Castellaneta, or me. It's one of the three. Oh. I think we oh, all I did it. it. I think we've all done it at one time or another. <laughs> so this is a slumber party, and one thing we always like to do right. is, is a game of truth or dare. Are you up for it? Yes, truth or dare. Oh, oh okay. Uh, well, I'll start with truth. I'm no fool. <laughs> okay so you did say that you've got a mean streak a little bit right <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> why do you think you're here that's why we love you but we want to know revenge stories there's gotta be oh. something you've got some retribution you don't Let have me, to name names. Right. No, I'm, I'm all right. I'll no. All right. This is, I don't really have a, a good revenge story, but I, I'll tell you a horrible thing I said one time years ago, uh, I was on a sitcom called working with Fred Savage and uh, Steve Heitner. It was the show Fred did after the wonder years. And um, and we had a makeup artist um, who's a, a lovely guy, kind of flamboyant. And he came in the makeup room uh, this one day and said, uh, we're shooting a Christmas episode. It's been a long day. And uh, and he said uh, that his grandmother died the night before. And I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. It's amazing that you came into work today. And he goes, oh, I didn't know her that well. It's no big deal. I was like, all right. So he makes it 20 hours later. We're on stage, we're tired, we're angry. I'm in a court jester's outfit because it was like a <laughs> costume party episode. There's literally a suckling pig on the set that's going bad. And it's everyone's tired, it smells, we're dressed, in, there's bells on clothes. Everyone's in a foul mood. And this makeup artist comes in to this giant crowd of people, very upset. And I thought, oh, it's it hit him. He came out of shock and it hit him. And uh, and uh, and somebody said, "What's wrong?" And he goes, "I just heard that Michael Hutchins died, <laughs> the lead singer of NXS." <laughs> and then I said, with, in front of like a hundred people, without even saying it, but thinking, I said, "Yeah, I did. You hear how he died? I guess he beat himself to death with your grandmother." <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and I'm by very that time, quick he, and very funny. Uh, it's but by just, that time, by that time, he he did feel bad about his grandmother. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I looked like, and it was literally people went like, it was like the reaction was, it was, it was like horror. <laughs> like, and I, I literally had to sit like. Like a dozen, like a dozen different flowers. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Yeah, it was. That was one of my one of my worst moments. <laughs> the like, irony is they've probably all forgotten it, but you remember it. It haunts you. 
you know. It does. It, it yeah. does. It does. Harm. Steve Heitner, who is Kenny Banya on Seinfeld. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. He remembers it. And every time I see him, he just looks at me. Yeah, he remembers it very well. Yeah, that was probably the, that was among the, the meanest, uh, the meanest things I did. I have revenge fantasies that I'll never enact. Let's write a book about those, right? (laughs) Well, that also, that was going to lead into my other question was, have you ever made Fred Savage cry? No, I'm kidding, obviously. But no, but, um, one, no, but I but one time uh see you can't you can't do this stuff now. It's how the how it's changed. Um this is the late 90s, and Steve and we went to this thing that used to be in Las Vegas it's called the Consumer Electronics Show, yeah. and it was the porn awards. And there was, uh, they would have these glossy handouts for the movies because this was back when they would have titles. Mm. Wait, wait, and, just before you go any further, was this the year that Don Pajamas won? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I don't like, I don't like to boast about my other career. It was. Uh, yeah. Um, and there was a movie. It was a movie. And the title of the, uh, uh, the, title of the movie was F- my dirty ass hole. That was the name of the movie. And Charming. Right, that was in, right. <laughs> I didn't make it up. So <laughs> Steve Heitner and I took all of the all of the glossy handouts for this movie. Just oh god, I love it. And we uh, came in early and papered the inside of Fred. Fred. We were, it was an office show and Fred had a desk and, and and we just papered the inside of all of his drawers with it. And when he we're doing a scene and he opens his door and he just goes, well, here's the thing. I know that tomorrow. Ah! <laughs> it, was, it was nothing to the imagine. It was it was truly and we were like, you know, we were guys in our late 20s or 30s. We were we were junkyard dogs and, yeah. and we were just a, a agog at, at this right thing. it shocked like, you it, like, yeah it, it did it, 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 like right. it, it was it was to that what a skunk was to smell like you couldn't right. get more like there was there was no more porn after that it was right. just like a skeleton in a miner's hat <laughs> you're all done there's nothing left um yeah it was it was uh it was truly um horrific he didn't cry, but he screamed. Maybe so. That's pretty. Close. He did scream. Yeah. He did. No, he did scream. And by the way, uh, greatest guy in the world, Fred Savage. Greatest, greatest guy in the world. Yeah, that's good to hear. And, uh, yeah, and and you scarred him with that. <laughs> I did. I didn't know that you were crazier than me. Oh yeah. I'm Bob Scratch Goldfarb, and I'm Detective Joe Friday. <laughs> So let's talk about that movie. It's it's called Joyride. It's a documentary about right. you on tour with uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite. The Joyride, we we went on the road. It was February of 2020, and the future looked great. Mm. Um, and <laughs> we uh, we were on tour, and so we filmed the shows. We filmed us 
in between shows traveling. And we talk a lot about our relationship and our past, our childhoods. Bob talks about when he set the Tonight Show on fire and there's film of it. I talk about doing a commercial with Bob Hope and there's film of it. There's home movie footage of when we were kids. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's really, it, it, it's not about how we became comedians, but it's about why we became comedians. And, uh, and, 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 and Bob directed it, I'm just in it. It's his movie. Uh, and it's, it's great. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not common. Uh, and I'm really, really proud of it. And this, you know, it's, it's very funny and it's a little bit touching, but not an annoying amount. <laughs> and do you cover Cause you guys were in a car crash on, on one of your tours. Yeah. Too. Is that, is yeah. That no, that was, no, that was literally how it starts because we were literally going, we were pulling into the venue to film the show and we got smashed into by a car doing about 50, 55 oh in, a in, a, in a residential. And we were in the back not wearing seatbelts because we were only going two blocks. We should have been wearing seatbelts. Um, so we broke our ribs on each other. Wow. Yeah, it was, as Bob said, it's like we were trying to merge <laughs> into a two-headed super comic that wrote for The Simpsons and was on Police Academy. Um, Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, and then we went to a, a, a sketchy hospital, and then uh, and then we had uh, and we were messed up. I had uh, a couple of broken ribs and a bruised lung. Bob had a broken rib and a very bad concussion. I had a, a concussion. I had a concussion. <laughs> Thank you. I will tell you this story, and that'll and it'll you'll be glad you did. Okay. One one of the things that happens when you have the notoriety and I'm, I'm using for me like this uh, but occasionally you get fans that are over enthusiastic uh, maybe they're lonely um, and and your comedy speaks to them in a way and they maybe they think that you have a connection that you don't uh, and uh, and they come around a lot <laughs> and uh, um, and uh, and again, I'm not a. I, I, I'm always nice. I'm always polite. I don't want anybody to feel bad. Uh, so sometimes that can bite you, because people think that you don't have a boundary, uh, when in fact you're just trying to be polite. Right. So, Bob and I are on tour. I, I have a, a fan like this in this one specific city. And um, it was dealt with it and uh, went to the next city. And uh, I go into my hotel room. I we go, Bob and I go out for lunch. And when I come back, there's flowers in my hotel room. We're in a different city. We're in a different city. Oh. And, there's a, and there's a note that says, uh, I'm here. I'll see you tonight. And uh, this person's name. Uh, and my just go ashen. Um, and and I'm, then I'm going down to the lobby to meet Robert. And uh, I'm rehearsing the gentle, like, you can't do this. This is this is crossing the line of our relationship. 
I'm a performer and you're a fan. I love that you come to the show and I love that you think of fun. But then there's a line where I have a life and, and, and I'm rehearsing this in the elevator and I get down to the lobby and Bob looks at me and he just goes, get any flowers today. <laughs> it was all Bob. <laughs> and, and I was like, and I was like, but literally my heart stopped. Like for, for a half an hour, I was like, oh, I'm gonna, it's like firing somebody. Like, ah, I don't want to fire you. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, that was, that was really super. That was beautiful. Dana, I wanted to mention that uh, you also have the podcast, The Data Gould Hour. You've got right. the Cinemorph Bulletin, of course. Yeah, that's that's the bulletin. Yeah, that's what and, it's called. Yeah. And the, uh, Joy, the Joyride movie. And, uh, Joyride so, movie. Is and it going to be more Stan Against Evil? No. <laughs> we tried, we wanted to do a movie and uh, we pitched <gasps> them on a movie a couple months ago and they said, that's a great idea. No, <laughs> um, and oh. so, I mean, so one day there may, I mean, one day there may be, if I get a lot of clout, I, I know what it would be. Um, but, well, you've got uh, it by coming here. I mean, sure. It's just raised but, uh, your profile. Yeah. But we, uh, right, right now there's no plan, but I, I, I love that world and I love those characters and I'm friends with all the actors. So, uh, you know, it, it could be like, um, it would be like, I could see a microscopic version of the third season of Twin Peaks, but it, unlike the third season of Twin <laughs> Peaks, it would have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it would feel like the show that it was. It'd be like, all right, interesting. I hope that yeah. happens. And then, of course, hanging. Yeah, yeah, we love happen. it so much. Hanging with Doctor C, season two. Hey. Also, please look up Dana Gould stand up. Please do yourself a favor. I cannot remember the last time I laughed out loud that hard. The Rolling Stones are the Beatles of music. <laughs> Not counting the Beatles. John Lennon is the Beatles of the Beatles. <laughs> but that only works on uplifting things. You know, you never watching a documentary, Adolf Hitler, the Beatles of dictators. <laughs> Here's the big surprise, though. The big surprise, Dana, is we're right outside your house right now. <laughs> You're here. Thank you again for so much time. I appreciate it, and it was a lot of fun. I, I love you guys. I, I'll do this anytime. I, I really do. I, I, wa I watch the channel. I, I think you guys are great. So really, I'm, I'm at your uh, disposal. Oh, fantastic! Oh. Thanks we again, Dana. We love you. I'm not good with dares. <laughs> Moving forward, we do have a Slumber Party sponsor this episode. Our Slumber Party experts are joining us, Susan and Denise. Oh, great. Love is radiant, tenacious, eternal. Give the only gift capable of expressing your endless devotion. The White Diamond Pearl Anklet by Soulmates. Its perfection matched only by the beauty of its wearer. With a timeless design for any occasion, the White Diamond Pearl Anklet is a symbol of eternal love, power, wisdom, and class. Celebrate love with soulmates and make every minute a moment 
next guest is multi-talented author, musician, actor, and current magician at Hollywood's Magic Castle. Please welcome Rob Zabrecki. Hi, Rob. Welcome. Nick, KJ, greetings. Greetings. I like your setup there. It's very a uh, little spooky, a little loungy. I really like it. It looks uh, like the perfect setting for a seance. And it was. <laughs> I'm uh, actually sitting where I interviewed every guest for uh, for our, our show, which is on my flight, uh, other side with Sabrecki, basically right here. So that it seemed appropriate to uh, sit here. Plus, this is where my couch is. So, Fed up with run-of-the-mill spooks and witchcraft? Tune in to Other Side with Sabrecki. Seances for every occasion. Now on Night Flight Plus. Let's talk about the show. Like if people haven't seen it, it, it it's fascinating. You had some great guests on. Tell people about Other Side. Yeah. So um, I don't know, three years ago, roughly three years ago, um, my wife and, and partner, Tommy Jean Zabrecki, a.k.a. Mrs. Bobby Microwave, and I were sitting around and we were trying to think of some content to create for this this magic character that I've been performing as for the past 20 or so years. And the only thing that made sense was to invite friends to come over and do a seance in my living room to contact a spirit of their choice. Just, there was nothing, nothing could really compare with, without ideas. I think it was the first idea we had and we just, I think had 13 guests over and um, let them pick a, a spirit of their choice. And then we just went into the afterlife and had a sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant conversation with the said spirits and then back to terra firma and ate some cookies and had some milk and kind of wave, wave goodbye. I should mention these aren't like usually dead grandparents. They're people like Ethel Merman or Pistol Pete Maravich. They're <laughs> unusual people you're conjuring here, right? Everybody kind of had a, a interesting spirit they wanted to reach. And uh, so it's just as fun for me to, because I got to, you know, take a deep, deeper dive. David Arquette uh, uh, contacted uh, Macho Randy Savage. And I, I'm not a wrestling person at all. So like getting to, you know, to connect with these people uh, on, I, on that note was, it was really fun. But you are a beef jerky person. So Randy Savage didn't ring any bells. You know what? I think I think I was so focused on the beef jerky that I, <laughs> I didn't see all that other madness. I just went right to the you know, and then went down to 7-Eleven and loaded up. You strike me as the type of person who would know about the history of seances, too, and that, that period of time where those were en vogue for, you know, wealthy people to have, have as like a Friday night entertainment, right? Exactly. It was all, it was a very funny uh, uh, patch of, of pop culture in that 1920s in really a phenomenon right here in the US and a little bit in, in England, but mostly in America. Um, the seance craze just went mad. Of course, you are already familiar with Harry Houdini, best known as a magician and an escape artist. But for the last 50 years, trying to conjure his spirit up here in Petaluma, how come? Well, it's a great challenge. Yeah, I was just, I got so fascinated by that world that I, I want to know everything about it. Meanwhile, I'm working at this club, a private club in Hollywood called Magic Castle. And in the magic, inside the Magic Castle, there's a, a, a private seance room that's dedicated to uh, Harry Houdini, master magician, Harry Houdini. 
And he had a, had a big horse in the, in the seance race. He hated these spirit mediums of the 1920s because he knew that most of them, probably all of them, uh, were frauds. And that they were taking, you know, they were, they were taking you know, precious time and, and money and, and the lives away from these people who thought they could contact their, their dead brother or sister, whatever. So it all, everything kind of, all the pieces started falling into place. And, and uh, I, I wanted to do, I thought it'd be really fun to perform seances. It seemed like, again, a no brainer. Well, how did you get into magic? You talked about the magic castle place. I've always wanted to go. And, you know, not everybody gets to go there. So, so take us behind the curtain. How, how did you get started there? And now yeah. you're, uh, you know, have won awards for your shows there. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it was one big accident. You know, I, I was playing music in the, in the 90s. I had a band called Possum Dixon. We were touring and out there um, with the rest of them, you know, just doing nightclubs. And um, by the mid 90s, I was kind of, the band's formed in 89. So by, I don't know, 95, 96, I was tiring of the idea of, of being in a band. I kind of wanted to do something else. I kind of wanted to find some sort of reinvention without even really knowing it. And one afternoon, uh, while sightseeing in Baltimore, Maryland, after a sound check, I just wandered into a magic shop. And someone there uh, performed a little trick for me. And I was able to very poorly duplicate that trick that night on stage, uh, very poorly. Came, I came back to LA when that, when that tour ended. And my girlfriend, who's now my wife, had a, had a pass to go to this private club, this private magic club in Hollywood, the Magic Castle. So we went and I, I didn't even have a tie. It was like, I had to call, because there's a strict dress code, it's coat and tie for men and cocktail attire for ladies. It was like hearing the cheap trick for the first time. It was just really transformative and um, life-changing for me. You know, it was really important. And I, I realized that there was a subculture within this and there was a, a great history to it. And I had this conceit somewhere that I could be a part of it. <laughs> And it was not like a fish to water. I was not, it, was, it wasn't like I was super talented or, or had, a, had a knack for it. I didn't, I was, but when it caught, it, it really did catch because it, it came from my heart. I, I really did want, like I say, I wanted to sort of reinvent myself. And because it was this, in my mind, this sort of neglected art form, I just, I was all over it and I couldn't, I, my brain went crazy like, like it did when I was listening to like, you know, records as a, as a little kid. Your onstage magician persona is kind of odd and unsettling. Are magicians generally odd and unsettling people, or is it all an act? Um, when I left music, I, I, I felt like the music world, sort of the, almost the, the indie rock sect of what was going on in the 90s, uh, was not warm and biting or, or friendly. It was all a sort of about, oh, we don't want to be too successful. Oh, that's cool. That's indie. That's not. There was a lot of, like, a lot of tags with things, and it, it was, I, I can't say that there was a, any real real warmth to it and although i loved it it was in my heart again it was just i just felt like i want to get away from this for a little while and and meanwhile magicians were like completely dedicated to the art they were the probably the more bookie kids at school you can almost imagine you know the musicians or the kids you know smoking cigarettes on the far end of the football field where the, the magicians might have been the kids sitting in the library you know learning how to do a, a you know a, a false transfer or something like that i don't know you know, we mentioned you come in here on, on Night Flight Plus, and Night Flight Plus has a pretty robust offering of occult and, and sort of spooky movies. 
and that you mentioned one of your favorites was monsters uh Crash the Pajama Party. Crash the Pajama Party, which, which is on Night Flight Plus, actually. Monsters Crash the Pajama Party was amazing because it was a, it was an early interactive movie. Um, you could go to see this movie, and while you're watching it, these mo- like the, the literal monsters leave the screen, and they would come out into the audience, and they would grab girls and take them backstage who would sort of appear on the stage. Would so, you say that Monsters Crash the Pajama Party were basically like William Castle sort of features like on steroids in a way, like yeah. a drug of choice? <laughs> that would be a compliment saying saying that because that, that stuff was actually a little bit more like dialed in when they were, you know, the, things like the Tingler were a little more, um, there, was, there was probably a little more technology in that stuff where I think Monsters Crash Pajama Party was, was very crude. See what happens when the Pajama Party Girls meet the Mad Doctor's girl-crazed monsters. 1,001 exciting scenes on screen and right in the audience alive. All in the world's weirdest movie, The Monsters Crash the Pajama Party in horror vision and color. Amazing. Only on Night Flight Plus. Yeah, now I was reading through your, your memoir here, Strange Cures. Wow. And- and there, there are some great stories in here. I was, because KJ has talked about, she was got into some trouble a little bit. And I, I don't think anything compares though with sneaking on the Universal Studios or off the tour. What, what, can you tell that story? Sure, yeah. Um, so mid 1980s, I'm, I'm 16 basically. And uh, after the house parties would break up, or we finished seeing bands or whatever we were, my friends and I were doing, we would inevitably end up uh, up in the parking lot of Universal Studios in Universal City, uh, right, right here next to Hollywood. Uh, because somehow, somewhere, somebody discovered that this chain link fence in the far parking lot has a hole underneath it. If you crawl underneath that fence, you go about 300 yards and you are standing on the front porch of the psycho house. Oh, nice. And it's midnight and there's nobody there except you and your friends and you know your 12 pack and your pack of cloves, cigarettes and and nice. your imaginations. <laughs> yeah. So it was just the, it was the best way to finish, you know, any weekend night and I take girls up there on dates. I'd always like it was my it was always kind of like my my cool card like hey, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you say we go up to a Universal Studios? You want to take a tour? I happen to know, you know, and the answer, the girls I was dating was always, hell yeah, let's do that. So yeah. it was, yeah, right? I got to say, I, if I, you could choose though of one location to lose your virginity in, what would it be? And it, I mean, the leave it to Beaver house is a little too obvious, but that would be my <laughs> choice. But you guys well, go on. I um, well, I mean, the truth is, I almost, I almost lost it uh, on the on the sand of Amityville Beach at the Jaw Set. That's beautiful. I was, I, it, was, it was a it was a moonlit sky. I remember this? It was like a summer evening, and there there we were, and uh, and before we knew it, of course, that we saw that Don Knotts. Don, yep, Don, Don's old fife's coming in, foiled again, chasing us out of town. We uh, it's getting late. Um, it might be late enough. Could you think you could show us where that uh, hole in the chain link fence is at, at Universal? You think we could uh, after this? I think it seems like yeah, I, I 100%. Oh, I'm so excited. 
excited to lose my virginity. virginity. Yeah, we're all going to lose our virginity. Uh, Rob, is there, I know most magicians have some sort of flourish to end a show. Is there a a good flourish you can give us to end this segment? Yeah, I got it. Yeah, there's a flourish that I have. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. He actually, he's magic. Rob Zabrecki, everybody. By the way, he's also available for children's parties. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for watching the Night Flight Slumber Party. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.